Morning, Taproot. I was about to say, that wasn't loud enough, then I realized I just said morning taproot. Super quiet, so <laughs> don't want to start out with hypocrisy. Here. Um, my name is Darren. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, this morning, I'm going to be continuing in our essential series that we've been doing as a church for the last number of weeks. And today, I'm going to be talking about the essential Christian discipline, um, the practice of rest. And so... Um, I wanted to kind of use that term rest most often throughout this morning rather than something like Sabbath because Sabbath can have a very religious connotation, but even for those that understand what Sabbath is and that Sabbath isn't just a time and a day, it's bigger than that, we can often get sucked into that idea of Sabbath is just kind of a stopping from work, whereas rest is something that um, I hope gives us an idea that we want to be infused with it throughout our weeks. And so... Um, as Christians, this is something we desperately need to be a people of rest. And so I thought it might be a good idea starting out to just kind of get a feel for the room for a second um, by asking how many of you, by a show of hands, would say you feel very at rest this week? You feel very restful in heart. Raise your hand. Okay. Um, I'm going to say that's maybe a sixth of you, something around that. Um, if we got like over that half of you mark, I was going to say, grab a pillow. We're just going to like take it straight to application and do a 40-minute nap. Uh, <laughs> but since we need to, to hear some teaching about rest, we'll move into it. Um, for those of you that don't know me well um, or that weren't at the last members meeting, something um, pretty important that's going on in my life and in my family's life is that with, over the next month or so, I'm going to be transitioning off staff here at Taproot. Um, I've been on paid staff for a handful of years, and we feel and have felt called towards uh, a bivocational type of ministry. Um, I just got a job at the local coffee shop here this last week. I'm going to be overseeing their beer program, which is kind of like a, a hobby and a passion of mine, um, as well as over the next months, maybe years, transitioning towards church planting. Um, we have this vision for that new church um, to be planted, it would be this kind of slow and small, this intentionally okay with that kind of slow, very local focus. And um, I've often likened the idea of, of planting, which is kind of the common term in our kind of church tribe, to birthing in the sense that that's a little more like natural and there's life. I guess planting's very natural too. But with birthing, I feel like we're kind of in our first trimester that we're like kind of thinking of names, we're kind of like looking at like locations, kind of looking at cribs, um, starting to plan, inviting friends and family to get kind of near. But unlike church planting and unlike birthing, um, church, new churches starting are communal. It's not meant to be something that just starts from one person or one family's DNA, but it's meant to be something that's like the Trinity, a, a community of people. And this is how it was done in the New Testament. This is how we are um, planning and praying to plant. It would not come through a person led by God, but through a people formed into community. Um, because my plan is to be bivocational, to not make um, money from a church position, but to be working in the coffee shop and whatever other hodgepodge jobs I will put together to make ends meet, um, it will have to be communal. There's necessary collaboration in that. We have a vision that this whole thing be birthed 
out of a place of rest, not restlessness, that slow, small, patient, and peaceful movement. Um, Looking at my life right now, coming from a place that's been a pretty secure paycheck to I don't know what my second job will be yet. Um, I don't know who God's going to form around us as community yet. We're moving away from the people that have felt most like family that we've ever experienced in our life. There's all this transition happening. So when people ask me recently, how are you doing? I've kind of been surprised myself at the first knee-jerk response out of me is, I just, just feel stupid peaceful. Like, it doesn't make sense why I'm peaceful right now. But I've felt this, like, deep sense of rest. And I'm not just saying that because I'm supposed to preach on rest. It's been crazy that God's been in this kind of place that should seem chaotic, that should seem restless. He's given us deep peace. So I'm excited to talk about that this morning. It feels completely applicable to myself, to my family. And we've experienced the blessing of resting in Jesus. So um, kind of a quick overview of where we're going this morning. I want to answer three questions for us. Hopefully we can come away with answers to, to these questions. Why should we rest? We always need to start with the why. The why always um, leads to everything else. We don't know what to do unless we know why we are to do that. So why should we rest? Secondly, are we all invited to rest? You know, if you heard Rebecca um, read the words of Jesus, come to me all who are weary, the answer seems to be yes, but I would say it's yes and no. There are some postures, some attitudes of the heart that will keep us from resting. And then thirdly, I'm going to answer the more practical question of how can we rest, looking at how God wants to shape our postures, just our heart posture towards rest, and our practices to give us some very practical pointers. So with that, let's pray. Don't fall asleep while I'm praying. Father, thank you so much for being a God who, um, who we can come to. You are not anxious. Um, you're not on the edge of your seat waiting for things to turn out good or bad. Um, you're a God who knows all and is sovereign over all, and so in that we can rest. So this morning, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would bring our hearts into alignment with yours, that we would be a people who are deeply affected by the rest that you made possible for us so we can have that rest ourselves and extend that rest to others. So I pray if there are areas of restlessness in our lives, things that we excuse because our our culture excuses them, that you would convict us in your spirit. Pray that you would encourage us um, towards rest, knowing that it's a good thing for us, um, and that we would learn how to rest if, if we need help in that. Amen. Have you ever wondered why we need sleep? Is, is anyone like, like I am will just sit and wonder those big, deep questions? I think I started wondering that uh, back in the early 2000s, um, kind of in that, that college age. It was a R- Richard Linklater film, I think, called uh, The Waking Life. And it was all um, it was acted out, and they had painters paint over the actual film, and it was this weird philosophical um, movie about, like, what is sleep for? What are dreams for? Who am I? You know, all these existential questions. And often we don't really think about sleep. It's more like that, that bookend of our day, kind of one of those things that we just kind of get to, and we don't think a whole lot of it. And we know the scientific answer to why do we need sleep. It's 
resetting the brain, right? It's storing our memories. It's kind of a recharging of the body. But why did God design us that way? One proposed that I believe sleep is a cycle of Sabbath for us, that Sabbath is a cycle of rest, that thing that's supposed to be kind of infused in all of our lives, and that rest is ultimately a cycle of dependence, and that dependence is meant to be on God because we are his children, he is our father, and that's our position. Studies show that how babies sleep initially, those first months, even those first weeks, is highly formative to people growing up to be well-adjusted, pretty stable adults, or people that live in a place of of chaos or restlessness. And of course, that's not the only factor. And if you didn't sleep well as a baby, it's okay. You can still be okay. But it does have an effect. It's an effect that is very deep because rest is really sets us on a positive or negative trajectories in our day and in our life. It's medically and physiologically and just everything matters based on the sleep we get. Amen, parents that have little kids, <laughs> their sleep or lack thereof leads to you having less sleep, right? Uh, one instance where I've seen this recently with a homeless friend of ours, um, we've started to see the close link, the connection between um, sleeplessness and the exasperating chronic mental distress and disease. How many of you guys have even went one or two days without sleep? Like most of us, we were a little bit younger when we did that, unless you were young and you raised your hand. How do you feel? Do you feel a little bit loopy? Yeah, like you, you can't actually figure out what's up, like what's going on. You're just kind of in a daze at that point. Imagine being in a situation due to weather conditions, due to um, not just the fear of theft, but the, the, the actual reality of theft or being beaten up or having something done to you plus possibly addiction. But people in that community have exasperated problems with mental illness because of a lack of sleeplessness. Most of us know that one of the most common, if not the most common method of torture used is sleep deprivation. It's absolutely essential that we get sleep and we get good sleep. And for us, like I said, we tend to think of it as that thing at the end of the day that we don't think about. We're not really like focused on it, and yet, for believers, for us, it needs to be first. I've said before in, in different times that I've preached that uh, we need to be working from rest, not working to rest. And in fact, even though our days technically start at midnight, in the culture that Jesus lived in, in the Hebrew culture, the day started when? Sundown, Sundown right? So almost like God was setting up our calendar to work with nature, like when the sun goes down, so do we. That kind of idea of rest, like beginning our time with rest and working from rest is the way God's designed it. It's, we're made for rest, but rest is also made for us. It's a gift. The next section after the one that Rebecca read for us in chapter 12, verse 1, if you guys want to read along, Matthew 12, we see what happens after Jesus' teaching on rest. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. That was their Saturday day of rest. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, 
look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And he said back to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, that I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, a parallel account of the same story in Mark ends with these profound yet simple words, that the Sabbath was made for humanity, not humanity for the Sabbath. So don't get it twisted. It's a gift. We tend to think that goodness is being as productive as possible, and if we have to, we have to rest, right? It's like, uh, was, it, was it Nas that said sleep is the cousin of death? You know, this idea of, like, I'll sleep when I'm dead? Like, our culture with workaholics and just this, like, desire to be productive at all costs with an afterthought of rest is not the way we're designed to be. We're designed to embrace the gift because it's good for us, and it's for us to receive, now, the second point with why rest is because God's not restless. Now, I think as I was praying, I kind of alluded to that, talking about how God is sovereign. And we can rest because he knows the end from the beginning. He knows what we need before we ask him. So let's read verse 28, 29 again. Jesus said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. When Jesus says, come to me, he already knows what you're like. He already knows the restlessness that's there. He's not saying, come to me when you're cleaned up. Come to me when you've got your stuff together. Come to me when you are presentable. But he says, come to me, knowing where you are in your restlessness, and knowing I am gentle and lowly of heart, it's not going to set him off. It's not going to disturb his peace. He's God. He sees it all. As much as we believe, even though we know in our heads, okay, if God's God, he sees it all. We still are like that kid that, you know, steals the cookie or d- does some kind of disobedient thing and then hides his head under the blanket. Like, if, if I can't see you, you can't see me. <laughs> All the while, your body's pretty visible right there. Like, <laughs> that's the way we are in how we think about coming to God. We, we try to, to wait to come to him in prayer or in scripture and community until we feel presentable. Where God is saying, come to me. The initiative isn't get clean. It's not get right. It's come to me if you're weary. I have rest for you. Your rawness doesn't throw him off. He's not caught off guard. I'm sure we all have that friend who, who says, like, hey, I'm here for you with whatever. And then the moment we actually come to them in that kind of rawness, our gut spilling out, that just vulnerable blah of our life, there's a backstepping of like, well, I, I, didn't, I didn't mean that. I'd go counselor or pastor, like somebody else. We all have that friend that, like, as much as they say, come to me, they really don't want you like that. But God's not like that. God is bigger. He is steady in his restful spirit. And then thirdly, why rest? Is that real 
real rest, it's almost a tongue twister, comes with a, a dependent joy. You know, rest brings friends. Rest brings joy, dependency, all these other qualities that are needed and beautiful. So we are created for it. God is sturdy enough to take us, and he brings joy with it. And as I, as I was preparing for this sermon, I think one of the cool things about getting to prepare for a message is that you get really deep in a certain subject or a scripture to the point where you bring things out or you can draw things out that you never would have seen before. And for me, this is kind of one of those, oh, that makes a vivid sort of sense, like dots connecting moment to recognize that happiness can be this fleeting thing, but joy comes out of a steady place. Joy can kind of withstand the ups and downs that happen in our circumstance. Happiness kind of rides those waves. Joy is just right there under the surface. And with real rest comes a deep joy. We have little kids. I don't know how many of you guys have little kids. But I remember um, as our little kids were growing up, uh, sometimes my memory and my wife's memory conflict. And so I, I have this memory that like our kids just weren't that cuddly. Like, at least compared to other kids, I always wanted that, like, snuggle time with little kids. But I cannot say that at this point, because our youngest, Jubilee, if you've ever seen her, she's probably been, like, sitting on your shoulder or, like, hanging on you. She is the most uh, affectionate, cuddly kid. And that is a posture of trust, like, that idea of being able to be, like, a, a little kid to just come and snuggle with your mom and your dad, to be held and carried. That kind of trust leads to deep rest. That kind of dependence leads to deep rest. It's amazing how soundly babies can sleep through all the craziness and the chaos and the clutter of their lives if they're held tight. One key thing I hope you guys can take away is that there is no true rest where the soul won't trust. There's no true rest where the soul won't trust. A lot of us are trying to find rest, but we're not willing to trust. We're not willing to actually come in that kid posture before God. We're trying to come with the plaid shirt buttoned up and looking all presentable and ready to go posture. Which, by the way, there's a lot of plaid shirts today, if you didn't notice. It's that time of year. Childlike dependence and trust is something that's different. The world prizes independence, right? The world prizes distrust. By, by the world, I mean so much of the culture around us. We are wary to trust, and we prize independence. But dependence, trust, faith, peace, joy, all these kind of words, they're, they're not like individual words in a dictionary as much as like colors in a beautiful painting. They all work together, and they overlap, and they interlink, and they bring other attributes with them. Our souls are like that canvas. When God invites us into this trusting place, he brings rest with him, which leads to deep joy. And as God is that artist, he is wanting to paint on us as a canvas. And I had to throw the pun in there, don't bristle. That. And don't brush my pun aside. So let's move on to the second question we're going to get to this morning of, are we all invited to rest? So yes, in that Jesus does invite us all, 
but know in it there are certain people that are not in that kind of posture to come to him. Reading verse 25 again and looking at this idea that rest is for the childlike. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, and you've revealed them to little children. So what's that, what's that mean? Like some of us might have heard the phrase, it's not good to be childish, but, but it's good to be childlike. What is the kind of childlikeness that, that God is after here? Saying those that, that are the quote-unquote wise, it's hard for them to come. But be childlike. What does that mean? First, I think we can learn something by looking at what the wise means in this context. If you are one that believes you're wise, you won't listen to the voices around you telling you when you need to rest, telling you that you are overworking, telling you that your way is actually foolish, not productive. Jesus isn't in reality talking to the, to the actual wise. He's doing air quotes, in my opinion. He's talking to those that believe they're wise, which makes them foolish, even more foolish than if they knew they were foolish. We all need to entrust ourselves to voices that are not our own. And if our voices are the only ones that have real weight in our decisions, then we are probably the wise. And we won't be able to rest before we make that first step of laying down our pride and saying, no, I don't know what's best for me, but I think God does. And I think these people in my community do. The big thing is childlike dependence and trust in God. Maybe you are like me and have the same kind of bent towards being different and not going along with the crowd. Maybe you're someone that says, I can depend on God and I can trust him, but I can't depend on people and I can't trust people. Does that resonate with anyone in here? You've been burned. You've been backstabbed. You've been betrayed. People tend to not follow through very consistently. I would venture to say no one can follow through consistently. You're going to, you're going to be failed. If you're someone that believes that you can live vulnerably with God, but not with the church, who is his body on earth, meant to represent him, I call hypocrisy. If this is you, maybe your step today at the end of the service is to make steps towards a person saying, I don't know what to do. I've been trying my whole life, and I don't know what to do. I'm just full of that kind of hypocrisy. Thinking that I'm godly because I pray and I do these actions, but I won't let anyone see the restlessness within me. Maybe your step is to take physical steps to the front and ask for prayer afterwards, to lay down your pride and to talk to someone as a step towards obedience, but also dependence and trust. Similar answer, the second answer I have to are we all invited to rest is similar, but it's rest is for those that are at the end of their rope. Looking at the overall context of the chapter, I'm not going to go through verse by verse, but if you start in chapter 11 there of Matthew, at, at uh, chapter 11, verse 2, and you kind of read the whole scope of the story, of, of where this little message from Jesus comes in, and then the stories that come afterwards, the healings, and things that happen, you will see that there's a certain type of people that Jesus has in mind that's invited to rest. In the story, 
John the baptizer is in prison and he hears of Jesus doing all these miracles, all these great things. Words getting around. And so he sends words saying, are you the one, Jesus? Are you that deliverer that's going to deliver us? Or should I wait for someone else? And Jesus responds to him, judge for yourself. You've seen the sick healed. You've seen the imprisoned freed. You've seen all these things that I've set my life pursuing those that are far off and they know it. That I've set my life on the marginalized and those that are broken, those that know they're restless. What do you think? Am I the one? Or should you wait for someone else? And then he goes on and ends that little saying back to John the Baptist saying, blessed is the person who's not offended by me. When you see Jesus freely pursue those that seem the most broken, disgusting, defiled, whatever you want to use, are you offended by that? Are you like the older brother in the prodigal son story that gets offended that God's grace would be that extravagant? And where's, hey, where's my pat in the back? Is that you? How many of you pray fervently when things are going great? But how many of us pray fervently when things are going horrible, right? That, that's a pretty natural thing that once we know that we're at the end of our rope, we ask for help. We cry out to God. But the key to understanding Jesus' rest in a deeper way, to grow in maturity as people of rest, is to recognize that our need isn't really dependent on the circumstances around us. It's not dependent on quitting the job and kind of going out in the dark to find something else. It's not dependent on your marriage going well or whether coming home at the end of your day feels restful or not. It's not dependent on your kids and if they seem like they're ungrateful brats or just godly little angels. It's not dependent on any of that, but it's dependent on the God who brings a joy underneath it all. That there's a deep settledness that no matter what, we know that we really are always at the end of our ropes and it's only Jesus that keeps us. And the more we believe that, the more that we know that we can come to him like children and deeply know our need all the time, that's where there is rest. Those are the kind of people that can draw near to him. So I'm going to transition into the last section now. It's going to be a little bit longer, but it's answering the question of how can we rest, starting with two um, kind of heart postures and then moving into three practices. So first off, um, I'm going to talk about sanctifying Sabbath. And uh, the 10 words that Moses gave, or that God gave Moses in Exodus, that are commonly known as the 10 commandments, one of those commandments that God shared with Israel through Moses was, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And interestingly, in the Hebrew, it seems like it's more likely, better translated, remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. And the word holy simply means different in a better way, something that's set apart. Um, I don't know why, but I had this uh, memory flashback when I was thinking about holiness this week. Um, a number of years ago, I used to meet with some other Christian leaders and kind of a discipleship thing in Wallingford, and it was above this store called Harold's Lighting, if you know that, it's like light fixtures, and the owner um, invited us to use his roof. Now, the crazy thing is, like, I had no idea there was a roof there because there are no visible stairs anyway, anywhere when you're in there. But the way we got in is you came in, and it's like those cool, like, old mystery stories where you pull a book out, 
and there's a click, and the whole standing bookshelf turns around, and there's a hidden staircase that winds up to the top. So cool. Every guy in here is like, yeah. <laughs> That's like, to find one of those is the coolest thing in the world. I mean, girls too. I just, it seems like a guy thing. It's like a Hardy Boys book. <laughs> but Nancy Drew probably had those too. I don't know. Um, but I just think of like this idea of like there was one book in that bookshelf that was holy. It, it brought access to a whole different place like Sabbath is meant to be for us, this time where we set aside a day a week or these rhythms throughout our day or even rhythms throughout our years that are set aside as different, that lead us into a place where we get to experience this overlapping of heaven and earth and glimpse the kingdom of God. If it's an afterthought, if rest is just something that's kind of incidental, like, yeah, it happens once a week, um, it's something that we just kind of like stumble into as, as like leftovers, it's not real rest. It's not going to give the same result as rest that is sanctified, which means set apart as holy. Secondly, we need to be surveying the Sabbath. Recently, um, we had a few couples over, and I asked the question, as we were all just kind of in our living room, where's your spot? Like, not Hawaii, not like some exotic spot, but where's, where's that spot that's somewhat accessible, you know, over your week that you go to to find the most rest? Like, where is that physically for you? Think about that question for you. Where's yours? Where's the spot that you might walk out to or you might sit in your home that's the most restful? For me, there's a chair that kind of like backs up against our bookshelf in the corner where I can see everything going on in the living room. I can see everything in the backyard and also the front yard. And I can kind of watch the kids play. I can, like, the sun comes in just right when I'm sitting there. It's comfy. There's a spot for my coffee or my beer. And it is just the most restful spot to me. When I watch my kids playing in the sun and I can see my freshly mowed lawn, which is it's not there right now, <laughs> um, I can rest. Why? Because I'm, I'm observing the result of work. I'm kind of resting and enjoying the finished work that's there. When God finished his work in the very beginning of creation in Genesis 1.31, it says this, And God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, right? It starts in the evening, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them and on the seventh day, that's that Sabbath, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, set apart, because on it, God rested from all of his work that he had done in creation. Now, in that section in Genesis, in the, in the Hebrew, the word rested in other Hebrew texts usually has a connotation of a king that sits down on his throne and surveys the victory, surveys the land that is now his dominion. That's the picture that we get of God resting, is he's done all this work to bring rest out of restlessness, to bring order out of chaos, to speak light into darkness. And he sits down and he looks at it and says, mm-hmm, I like that. Just resting in what he sees, enjoying the work of his hands, sitting on his throne, surveying. It's more like me sitting and looking over my lawn and my kids than it is me taking a nap, for instance. And as I said earlier, we work from rest. 
if you look at when Adam and Eve were created, the first humans, their first day on this green earth was Sabbath. God worked six days. On the sixth day was when he made the humans, and the seventh day was their first full day. So they worked from rest. They didn't work to get to the weekend. They didn't whine about their case of the Mondays. (laughs) They worked from a place of rest. They worked rested until they were able to be recharged again on that next Sabbath day. And similarly, as God's subduing the world for Adam and Eve and then calling them to go and be fruitful and subdue the earth to extend his rest to the rest of creation, we have in Jesus someone who came and lived a life perfectly. He did all the perfect work that we could never do, or we would completely screw up different aspects of our lives over and over, and that was the one constant in our life is that we were inconsistent. God lived consistently and perfect and worked his whole life dying for us to give us that perfection so that Jesus was the one who did all the work for us. He subdued it all. He subdued our imperfection. He subdued our sin. He subdued the work of the Satan. He subdued all the evil forces and the brokenness on the cross for us so that we can rest in his work. Resting in Jesus. The best way to completely miss the point this morning is to come away with an idea of rest is just stopping. Just stopping the work. That's completely two-dimensional to what God has for us in rest. Rest is not just a turning away from work, but a turning to Jesus. Rest is not what you turn from, but who you turn to. Many of us have these rhythms of rest that really could just consist of a day off work, maybe a day off of things that feel like work, maybe a day devoted to family and just doing something fun. And those aren't bad things. That's a part of it. But it's only a part. We need to have these two postures of sanctifying our Sabbath, setting apart, planning ahead, really being intentional about it, and surveying God's work, looking at what Jesus did for you in appreciation, having the time to recount what has God done in my week, surveying that work and resting in that. Without those two postures, these next three points of practical things, I would just say, don't even listen to them if you're not going to come in those two postures to begin with. So lastly, we're going to close with three practical postures, or practical, pra- practical practices, king of redundance over here, the practices of rest. First, resting our bodies. Second, resting our minds. And thirdly, resting within community. And then we'll close. So our bodies are intricately connected to our minds and our souls. Um, This has been since God knit us together, body and soul, in our mother's wombs. We have not been just ethereal spirits hovering in need of a body. God created us with flesh and spirit, intertwined, interconnected, and it's always how it will be. Um, No matter what the cartoons of like spirits floating off tell you, the real the real kingdom of God is going to be more real than this stage, more real than your seats. It's going to consist of temporal bodies that are more real than the ones that we inhabit now. And and inhabit's the wrong word too. We don't inhabit bodies. We are body, soul, and spirit. We are connected in that way and it will always be. In fact, the rhythms of work and rest will not cease 
when the new heavens and the new earth come. They continue. The prophet Isaiah talks towards this. The Garden of Eden before sin speaks towards this. There will not be sweat and toil in the same way that the broken creation yields, but there will be rhythms of work and rest in the kingdom. And we are working towards that reality here on earth, but working from rest. We are ensouled bodies. We have souls and bodies that are knit together. So you need a weekly day off. You're not okay without that. For some of us, we can have our day off be part of one day and another part of another, but you need those rhythms that stay consistent. Don't wear badges of restless or workaholic or driven as these badges of honor. When one of the key marks, if not the key mark, that was noticed about the early Christians was that they were a people of profound peace and rest. People that had this steady hope within them. Lean into that and don't buy the cultural lie that your worth and value comes from your work. There are restful rhythms that you need, but there are also restful places. On Facebook this week, um, I just asked the question, where do you go for rest? What's rest look like for you? And half the answers were related to nature and the outdoors. And I'm, I'm assuming this resonates with a lot of us. A lot of times those are the places that we feel most rested. There's a lot of great answers, but one that I particularly liked came from a former Tappert member. If you guys remember Dasha, Dasha Narog, her family lives in Scotland now. She wrote this. For her, rest is a challenge when you live in a restless culture. When busy gets confused with productive and successful, especially for parents, moms even more specifically. Rest is closely connected with nature as it helps us as human animals connect to our environment and what's going on with our mind and soul at the moment. Moments of peace, whether it's a cuppa at the coffee shop, which I had to Google it, it's a British term for tea, <laughs> or, or in the shower or taking a walk or a hike without company or headphones, that's rest. Curling up, with, curling up with a good book or your own thoughts is rest for me. I did something I haven't done in ages the other day. While the kids played nearby in a grassy area, I laid down on our picnic blanket and just looked up at the sky. Nothing else, no headphones with podcasts, no books, it was transformative. The clouds going by, the sounds, they were all there all along. I just didn't notice. Taking time to notice is rest, and it's a gift to our busy society. Us dwelling and enjoying and taking time to notice is an act of rest, slowing down to see God. A common phrase is that Jesus, is, Jesus had a speed. He went through miles an hour. He was on foot. He didn't go through his town on his car, just not noticing it. Jesus soaked in. He lived in this small town in Galilee and just lived at this pace of slow and peaceful. And sometimes to, to move away from the restlessness around us and just the constant building of Babel and always productivity, always having to be successful and out ahead and making more, we have to disengage to remove ourselves, to untangle ourselves from technology. Even just flipping your phone over flat when you're with someone, to unplug in that way. There are moments towards rest and being in the moment. We're there all along. Secondly, resting our minds. Some of us 
rest easily through nature. Some of us is putting on certain music. Some of us is exercising. Some of it's reading. Oftentimes it's reading scripture, being in prayer. These are all different practices that help lead us into rest. But how about stillness and silence? I'll do another show of hands. How many of you guys are really comfortable with extended times of quiet, silence? Oh, man. Are those all the hands that said they were feeling restful? No, I'm just kidding. It's, you guys are better than me in that. I'm, I have a hard time. I've always been a talkative person. I've always tried to fill the silence with words. But I think as we mature, we don't have to let outside forces dictate whether we feel restful or not. We can be a people that like God's subduing creation and kind of preparing the plot of land for his people. We can even subdue our minds. Now, that can sound very spiritually, but the reality is when we sit and listen to God's voice, if we're in prayer, we often fill that silence up with our words because of our insecurities, because of our restlessness, because we're fearful of what we might hear. But we need to be people that learn to grow in the stillness and in the silence without using excuses like I have to say, ah, that's just not me. I like to get things done. That seems like a waste of time. I'm just not a contemplative person. We need to stop sweeping that kind of immaturity under the rug of personality and grow into rest in these ways. Sometimes, maybe all the time, we need to learn a little better to to shut up and be still in order to actually listen. So I'm going to ask us to apply this for a second. Uh, It's going to be closer to a second than an hour, but for some of you it might feel like an hour, but we're going to take time to listen in stillness and silence to set some patterned breathing to just allow our bodies to be stilled, to subdue our thoughts, close our minds, and ask Jesus to show us his rest and to speak to us through his spirits without filling in the gaps with the silence but just to wrestle towards rest. So I'm going to take just a few minutes, and I'm going to give some silence. I want us to just breathe in all those worries in your week, all the restlessness, and just breathe out, knowing that God has that. God's in control. So close your eyes with me, and let's do that. Did it feel long to some of you? Was it uncomfortable? (laughs) I uh, was encouraged by an old pastor of mine to just knowing who I am and knowing that it's hard for me to really rest in the silence, to, to listen and not fill that silence. I was encouraged to just take a very small amount of time every day to do that. And then not be worried about growing that to this you know, monk life where I'm out in sol- solitude for 10 years but to just take a few minutes and just move that to the time that feels right and helpful for me to kind of set my mind back on hearing what God's doing. And it's something that's helped me hear him through walks down the road. It's helped me hear him as I'm interacting with people. I'm more aware of listening rather than thinking of where can I respond. It's a really good practice, practice of rest. Lastly is resting within community. 
All these things I've mentioned up until now have been kind of focused on individual rest, but a vital component of rest is community. And I think this may be one I get the most pushback for, but I think it might be in some ways the most essential. Because you can do these practices and you might last a week or two and then fail. And who's there to encourage you to come back into rhythms of rest? Your community. Over years and years of leading small groups, probably the most common thing I've heard from the people that don't show up to the small group night is, I'm just so tired. I'm going to stay home and rest. There may be an exception or two, but in my mind, in hundreds and hundreds, probably thousands of times of hearing similar things and times that we've said those things ourselves, I doubt there's one single instance with a person that takes the step away from community for however long is better off for it. In fact, the place that God is meant for you to find rest when you're struggling to find it yourself with him personally is through his body on earth, his hands and feet on the earth, his church. Paul says in Galatians 6, two things regarding the carrying of burdens, the helping rest happen. He says each one should carry their own load. We do need to learn personal disciplines of rest and hold ourselves accountable. But secondly, in Galatians 6.2, he says, carry each other's burdens. In this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. They sound contradictory, but I don't believe they are. We should be getting rest directly through Jesus, through prayer, through scripture, through listening intently to the word, through these rhythms of rest, all these things, but we'll fail at some point and we need to experience Jesus through his body that work, walks on earth around us in his church. To enter into a vulnerable trust of the Father through a trust in his spirit through the others around you. Like I said, the person that says, I depend on God, but is not in any place of dependence and vulnerable openness and community on others, call hypocrisy. That's not a real trust in God. That's a trust in the idea of God. But there's going to be times that you can't bear the weight. The times that you think you're okay on your own are often the times you need community the most. The times that you think rest means disengaging when it's really stepping towards the voice of God through the voices of others. So we carry one another's burdens. Let's end with Jesus' words one last time. Come to me, all who labor, and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you're sitting here this morning and you feel like Jesus is speaking to you, that he's inviting you to come to him, that you're just tired of being tired all the time, just tired of trying, tired of feeling like you can never really just be who you are, whether you feel great or you feel crappy. If you're tired of feeling like you have to put on a face, put on a front when you come into community. Jesus is saying to you directly, come to me. Accept that invitation and trust that God's designed us to rest in him directly, to rest through his body, but also to extend his rest to a weary world. And I'm here 
extending this offer of rest from Jesus to you. Jesus beckons you to come, not based on your readiness, not based on whether you're restful enough already, but based on the fact that he knows you're not. Trust in him in this and enter into his rest because there's no true rest where the soul won't trust. So as we close, we're going to be taking communion, which is a way that we rest in the work of God every week by remembering what he's done. We need these physical reminders of his body broken for us through the bread and his blood spilled and shed for us through the wine, through the grape juice. And over these next few songs, as the band comes up, um, we're going to be taking communion. Um, You can take it as a family. You can take it as an individual. You can take it as a community, um, however you want to take it. But take it looking at Jesus, at what he's done, and resting in surveying his work. And as the songs go, you guys are welcome to pick up your kids while we sing to bring them back in here so we can also just enjoy God and, and trust and rejoice in him through singing and fellowship together. So join me in prayer. Father, I thank you that you are God who is himself our rest. Let all the rhythms in our life that you've set in place, these weekly rhythms of rest, these practices of, of breathing and these ways of resting our minds, the way of finding rest through community, that all those things aren't rest in and of themselves. They're rest because they're connected to you. They're rest because you work through them. So we thank you that you are our rest. We pray that as we mature as a people of rest, as we mature as a, as a peaceful presence in a panicked culture, that that rest would emanate from us to, to the watching world that is weary, that you would be um, showing light, that you would be showing that this is the place to come to alleviate your heavy burdens, to be at rest, that through us, the message that you are a God who welcomes us in and gives us rest would be spread throughout our communities. So we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way you have um, brought us into the way of rest through the work of your son. And we pray that we would live in that rest this week. Amen. You guys can stand and join me in song.